0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit ChampSchurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning, but I want to tell you something. I need your help. Are you willing to help this morning? Do you feel helpful? I'm wearing my reading glasses because I anticipate reading a little bit uh, out of the the word directly. Now, normally I put together, you know, notes and operate through those notes and and have a a very structured message. But as this week was approaching, I was sitting down to prepare for it. And there were really uh, specific things that were placed on my heart and specific ways to go about those things. I want to read out of the scripture a lot this morning. And that's no different than our our normal style of delivery. We use the scripture constantly. But normally it's verses from different areas. And I actually want to look at some entire passages this morning. Uh, Many of you are familiar with the day. I mean, today would be known as Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is obviously... Uh, calling us to, to the the entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem and, and the celebration and the waving of the palm branches and things of that nature, I want us to visit those passages of Scripture. I want to look at a few things, and I want to see what God would be communicating to us by revealing that history to us this morning. So if you're there and you have your Bible, if you have your, your notebook or your ability to take some notes, uh, we're going to jot a few things down, but it's not going to be like any... Normal Sunday. Right now, you know, I'd be telling you three things to look for in the message, and we we would go through those things. This week's going to be a little bit different. But if you do have your Bible with you, I want you to turn uh, to the book of Isaiah. I want to look at the book of Isaiah, and I'd like for you to turn to, to chapter 55. Now, when I say that I want your help this morning, what I mean by that is, is participation. I mean, I think if we can read through some areas of Scripture together, there's a really tremendous opportunity for God to greatly enrich our lives, to equip us to, to function and operate more efficiently as believers and be more effective in our witness. Now, as we get into Isaiah 55, I want to just share with you a couple of things that, that I've come into an awareness of. I remember years and years ago as a young man, I traveled overseas and was walking through the Middle East and witnessing to, to people that I would meet and, and I was in a, 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 an area outside of Jerusalem and I met a young secular Jew and, and we were talking and, and as we were talking we began to talk about the scripture and I tried to find ways to communicate with him about the things that, that I thought were very important I wanted to talk to him about King David and, and I started talking to him about King David and, and he kept looking at me kind of strange and and I said, now, you know King David, don't you? And he said, yes, it's an excellent hotel. And, and the King David is a hotel in Jerusalem. But, but we began to talk about the scripture. And I found some things out that were, were interesting to me. And they ought to be interesting to you, too. This passage of scripture, Isaiah 55, I want to encourage you to read it. I mean, don't you know that the most powerful and effective tools... To, to be ministered to by, to, to minister to others with those powerful and effective tools, don't you know those will be met with the most resistance by our enemy? Isaiah 55, along with a couple of Psalms, specifically Psalm 22, these, these passages of Scripture are, are, you could say, forbidden to be read on your own in Israel without a rabbi present to explain them to you for fear that you could easily be swayed to see Jesus as the Messiah. That's how important and powerful these passages of scripture are. They testify about Jesus. There's no doubt about it, the entire word speaks of Jesus Christ. But these two passages, Isaiah 55, Psalm 22, they're so specific in their prophetic nature, they're absolutely powerful that the devil wants them to be silenced. And I want us to look at Isaiah 55. I want to encourage you to read the whole thing in your own time because I believe it would really enrich your life. But I want us to see something specific. Now, I'm going to start reading, and we're going to read in several passages uh, this morning. I'm going to start reading around verse 6. So Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. And let all of the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. And the Lord will give compassion to him. God will abundantly pardon. Now this is God speaking. He says, now my thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. And they don't return without watering the earth and making it bear fruit. So shall my word be which leaves my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing all that I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and you will be led by peace and the mountains and the hills will break forth with shouts of joy before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands and instead of thorns the cypress will spring up and instead of weeds the myrtle will rise. And it will be a memorial to the Lord, an everlasting sign which will never be cut off. Now there's a specific area there that I want us to look at before we begin to examine Palm Sunday. It's the, the passage of Scripture where God is speaking to us about these great works, these marvelous works of, of a curse being lifted and the blessing being bestowed. No more weeds, no more thistles. Remember, that's the result of the curse. When Adam sinned, God cursed the ground. He said, it's not going to produce like it did before. Now you're going to have to work for it. How many of you work? I mean, come on, you know you work. How many of you have a yard? Okay, how many of you have grass in your yard right now? How many of you have weeds in your yard right now? Okay, thank you, Adam. I mean, that the, the, you can see the results of the curse everywhere you look, especially this time of year in Abilene, Texas, when you mow your yard and right behind you the weeds are coming right back up. You can turn around and what's like they're, they're just playing with your mind. But you can see those results and you see God talking about this transfer this change no more shall the weeds prevail but there'll be fruitful plants and fruitfulness no more just wasted away you know what weeds do they suck away all the resources and they don't give back anything but fruitful plants take the resources and they produce and they provide and they multiply they nourish And God is changing things in my life and in your life. He's cutting out all the things that just take and take and take. And he's imparting the things that can produce and make provision. He's making us prosperous. Now, oftentimes when we hear that in church, we think only about money and financial gain and those things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't put some thought toward that. But I'm talking about your life being effective as a witness and a leader in the kingdom of God. Your life being effective to destroy the works of the devil, to tear down sin and corruption and be light where darkness once prevailed. He's making us productive. He's taking all of those things away. Now in the process of communicating this, in the process of talking about Jesus and the removal of curse and the impartation of blessing, He says something and we need to pay attention to it. It's not an insult. It's more of a warning to be aware to be on guard, to be alert, to be sober. That we don't think the way God does, and He doesn't think the way we do. That our ways and His ways might not be the same. Now there's a call to that that I want us to respond to, but as we we take the time to get into the Word this morning, I want us to put that to the side so that we can come back to that. And understanding That the ways of God and the thoughts of God are different than ours. There's a work that needs to be done in our heart. There's something that needs to be done in our minds in order for us to come to know this celebration of transfer from curse into blessing. From poverty to prosperity. I want us to turn in the scripture to the gospel of John. I want to talk about Palm Sunday, but I want to move a little bit before Palm Sunday so that we can understand why this, this event took place and why it happened. Now, Palm Sunday is today on our calendar, and obviously we'll move to Good Friday, and then we'll have Resurrection Day this next coming Sunday. You have all of these events packed in this short amount of time, a week. Now, something happened that sparked what we would refer to as Palm Sunday. Something incredible happened. Something powerful happened. Something that ignited a land uh, and and turned uh, an entire country upside down that took a group of people who were were apathetic and and were were lackadaisical and, and they became very energized. And that starts to be revealed to us in John chapter 11. We see something really incredible take place in John chapter 11. And I want to read passages from John chapter 11. And I want to stop and break some things down. And what we're going to see here is is a story that is actually history. It's not made up. It's not fictional. This happened. It was recorded. And it was recorded for us to understand what's going on as we continue to read. It begins as it's recorded like this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary and his sister Martha. And it was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. And the sisters sent for Jesus saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was two days longer. Then after this, he said to the disciples, hey, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, don't you know you were just there and everyone there is wanting to kill you and you're wanting to go back there? Now, you have to stop there for a second and realize what's going on. There's tremendous turmoil at this time. I mean, you have to, to put yourself in a, a place to, to use your imagination, to, to create the history in your mind to become a, a more able to relate to what's going on, the climate of the day, so to speak. I mean, you're aware of the culture that we live in, right? If you turned on the radio or you turned on the TV and you listened to the news, you you wouldn't be shocked by some of the themes that are woven into every headline and every story. There are agendas that are being pushed today in every avenue of media. Well, that's not new. I mean, Facebook might be new, but people having agendas is not new. So in these times, there were things going on. There was political turmoil. There there was religious turmoil and division. There were all kinds of things at work. I mean, at this time, the the nation of Israel is divided. At this time, the nation of Israel is being ruled by the Roman Empire who are continuing to spread and conquer and and spread their, their rule and their laws and collect their taxes. This oppression is is spread through Israel and an entire nation is waiting and crying out to be liberated once again, telling their children the stories of deliverance from Egypt and the stories of deliverance from Babylon and the stories of deliverance from Assyria, knowing that one day soon their children will tell their children stories of deliverance from the Roman Empire. The political climate is so uh, fragile at this time. It's so, it's so uh, ready to burst with, with violence and change. People are looking for something. And here comes Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to draw crowds. He becomes to gain uh, popularity among people. Uh, no matter who, no matter where, no matter what, people are always moved by his words and they marvel at his actions. I mean, this man stands out. And in the midst of all of this division, in the midst of all of this this, uh, uh, trial and tribulation in a country, there's a hope that's rising in people. A hope that one day soon, this man who is drawing all of this attention, who's building all of this loyalty and bringing these crowds together, will make a stand. And as Jesus is ministering, as he's preaching, as he's moving, all of these agendas are stirring in the hearts of people. And they're witnessing and they're watching the power of God move. They're seeing the blind have their eyes open. They're seeing the ears of the deaf open up. They're seeing the lame rise and walk. They're seeing the most incredible things. They're seeing magnificent miracles, the multiplication of food to feed masses. They're seeing and witnessing these things. And with everything they witness, they become more excited about the fulfillment of their agenda. Surely this is the man And as this has built up, as this anticipation has built up to where it feels like, like it just needs, it's right at the tipping point, just, just one more exciting work at the hands of Jesus Christ, and it's going to be time. Revolution. Revolution. Something comes to pass. Jesus is in a place where his friend has been sick. His friend passes away and Jesus goes to see his friend. And when they return to Judea, it, Jesus says these words. Are there not 12 hours in the day? What he means by that is 12 hours of sunlight, 12 hours of darkness. If anyone, because if anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he has the light to see by. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not with them. And after that, he said, let's go. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I might awaken him out of this sleep. And the disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, will he not recover? I mean, these guys hear him say that and they think he'll wake up on his own, right? I mean, we woke up this morning, no alarm clocks. And the disciples therefore said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, won't he recover? And Jesus was speaking to them concerning the death of Lazarus. But the disciples thought that he had literally fallen asleep. Now I'm in verse 14. Now, then Jesus therefore said to them plainly. How many of you need Jesus to say things plainly to you? I'm on that list. I'm kind of like, you know, let's just save you some time, Jesus. And you can just lay it out really plainly to me. And, uh, and that'll be helpful, you know. So Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I mean, you can picture this conversation, them talking about this trip, you know, some of these guys aren't really wanting to go, they have an agenda, you know, it was pretty hostile back there, some of those people didn't like you, some of those people loved you, Uh, you know, maybe we should just stay here where it's easy, you know, you're preaching some good messages, people are getting healed, last night's offering was awesome, I think we should just stay right here, this is a good place to be, Why, why, why go back? Agendas being pushed. And Jesus makes it plain, listen, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that this is the case. Because if I would have been there, you wouldn't believe. So now we're going to go back so that you can believe. Let us go to him. Verse 16, Thomas, one of the disciples, says to the others, he said, well, let's go with him so that we can die too. Right? I mean, what a great attitude. You ever travel with people with a bad attitude? Let me tell you something, if you ever travel, anywhere. See if you can get Darlene to go on that road trip. She's the most pleasant person. I mean, there can be no water. There can be, you know, really bad food. You can have like uncontrollable diarrhea and she can still be laughing and having a good time. I mean, pleasant people, being around pleasant people is really, really important. And, you know, here's, here's Jesus and his entourage of folks. And he's making the plan. He's communicating the plan. He's now spoken very plainly to them. Listen, this is on purpose. This is for the, the, the reason that God sent me. And they're all saying, okay, well, we'll go die with you, I guess. Bad attitudes there. And you never know. Maybe his attitude was good. Maybe that's a courageous thing that he's saying. But as we continue to read, it reads like this. So Jesus came. And he found that his friend who had died had already been placed in a tomb. He'd been there for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, just about two miles off. So he's close to Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come out to to comfort Mary and Martha, to console them concerning the loss of their brother. And Martha, she heard that Jesus was coming, and she went to meet him. And when Martha came to Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And then now Martha says something to him, and it's very doctrinally sound. I mean, I don't picture her saying this in in a tremendous uh, hope and, and with victory. It's more like a cadence. You know, like, uh, uh, well, I was taught this, and so I'm going to confess this because I want to, to be righteously, uh, uh, I want to be appropriate in my, my verbiage here. And she responds and says, well, I understand that, that in the last days, I understand that, that my brother will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And you have to just stop now. This is where I like to stop and imagine. You know, as if, as if you're getting a chance to witness this dialogue and this conversation. Here's someone who who is heartbroken, and and four days have gone by. So I'm quite certain that that in these four days, she's probably run dry of tears. But you can still see the look of grief and mourning on her face, as if she hasn't slept, as if she hasn't eaten. You can just see the weariness and the turmoil that has gone on in her body. And you can see her responding to Jesus, You know her disappointment, only if you'd been here, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. But I understand that, that, you know, life goes on. And Jesus, in response to her, hears her doctrine that, yes, one day he'll rise again, and looks her in the eyes. And in the midst of all of her weariness and all of her sorrow, she hears the most incredible impartation of hope. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I am the life, he who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She looks back at him through those weary eyes and she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even him who has come into this world. And when she said this, she went about her way and called her sister, Mary. She said, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And she heard this, rose quickly and went out to him. And Jesus, who had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met with him, stood and waiting. And the Jews then who were there in the house, who were mourning and who were consoling these two, they went too with Mary when they saw her rise up quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb and weep. Therefore, Mary, when she came to Jesus, she saw him and she fell at his, feast, his feet, excuse me, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus saw her weeping. And all of those who had come with her in their mourning, he was also deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. And all of those who were saying, behold, how he loved him, came along to see. And some of them said, could this man who opened the eyes of the blind, who who has done these miracles, these signs and wonders, could this man not have kept his friend from dying? And Jesus, therefore, being deeply moved within, he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a a stone lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, Lord, by this time, there'll be an odor, there'll be a smell, a stench. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so they remove the stone. Now you have to pause there. And you have to just put yourself in that place. Can you imagine being in that crowd of people witnessing this going on? Realizing that this man has turned an entire nation upside down. And right now what we're about to witness is either going to seal the deal or write him off as the biggest kook to ever walk the earth. They're actually moving the stone. And you're standing and you're witnessing and you're watching and you can feel the tension in the air. And when they had removed the stone, Jesus raised his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And I know that you've always heard me. But now because of the people who are standing around, I say that so that they can hear and believe that you did send me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. And the one who had died four days before came out, bound hand and foot in wrappings, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to those around him, unbind him and let him go. And many, therefore, the Jews who had come, all of those who were mourning, they came with Mary and and they were marveling at what had been done. They began to believe in Jesus. But some of them went away. Now I want to stop right there because if you continue to read, you see the conspiracy to kill Jesus begin to unfold. You see it as it begins in verse 47. And it continues on. You see something incredible happening here. This thing that had never even been thought or conceived of before is now happening in front of people. In fact, this situation, this piece of history, this this miracle, this act is is at the pinnacle of all of the works of Jesus Christ. The the healing of the blind and the cleansing of the lepers and the, the lame rising to walk. When this takes place just two miles outside of Jerusalem, when Lazarus, who was dead four days in the grave, is called out, and is now living, alive and well, witnessing and testifying. The scales are now fully tipped. This is our man. Who else could do such things? And a city is turned upside down. There's a, a rage and an outroar. It says that people were coming from all around to see Lazarus. Not just Jesus. That there. The conspiracy to kill Jesus wasn't limited to Jesus. You can read in the Gospels that that those who wanted Jesus dead also wanted Lazarus dead because his testimony was potent and effective. And all of these things that are going on are turning an entire country upside down. And now it's time for the Passover feast and you see Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And this is where we get our Palm Sunday. You find the story as we read it, as we're going to read it, in John chapter 12. You can just turn a page over there. And keep in mind now, just days before he's called Lazarus out of the tomb, an entire city, the city of Jerusalem, is abuzz with this news that this man pulled a man from the grave, four days dead, and he's now alive and well, and everyone is in an uproar. And you can read the story there, and rather than read, I'd like to paraphrase a bit. We'll visit the scripture and read directly on occasion but I want to paraphrase some things Jesus is entering in and fulfilling scripture as he's entering in he, he's on a donkey, a, a young donkey. He's not this majestic king sitting on top of the world's largest horse, but he's riding on this, this tiny little donkey, fulfilling the scripture as God would call into existence years before by the prophet. And as he's entering into Jerusalem, people are coming from all around to see his entry. It becomes a parade. It becomes a riot. It becomes such a, a mass of people in celebration. Now, oftentimes when we read this and we consider it, we we picture a a Hollywood rendition of ladies with tambourines twirling about and and Jesus slowly making his way, giving the the pageant wave as he enters in. I don't think it was that organized. In fact, when I read this, I've got a little bit of landscaper in me. I read it and I'm horrified. Because it says they're throwing their garments in the street. And when they're running out of their garments, they decide to destroy the surrounding landscaping, to throw it in the streets, to pave a way for Jesus, to see this man who's going to fulfill all of their agenda come and take his place. They know that this is the man. This is the man who can accomplish these great things. Surely this is the man who can overthrow these wicked Romans and restore unto us the sovereignty of the people of God, as God has always intended. We've been delivered from Pharaoh, we've been delivered from uh, heathen kings, and now we'll be delivered from Caesar. And as they're celebrating, they're they're shouting and they're yelling. And as I put myself in that place, I, I don't see an organized event, I don't see a parade. I see more of a riot. And here's why I see that, because I understand that that Jesus has opened up the eyes of the blind. That's an exciting thing to hear about or to read about. But if you have your eyesight, what good is a man who can heal the blind? You see Jesus cleansing the lepers, those that are unclean. Once again, an exciting thing to hear about or to read about, to be told about as the grapevine continues to pass on the information of the mighty works of Jesus Christ. An incredible thing to hear about. But really just entertaining unless you yourself need cleansing. And the lame who are rising to their feet, who are getting up and walking after a life of being condemned to lay in the streets begging. Not paved streets with sidewalks and curbs but dirt filled with animal feces and dust. You hear of these being delivered from this life of of degradation and poverty, rising up, regaining their strength. You hear of it, and it's an incredible story, a powerful testimony. It's inspirational. But if I'm not in need of being delivered from any element of lameness, what good is a man who can make my legs whole if my legs are perfectly fine? But now something has happened. Jesus has called a man whom he loved out of the grave, dead for four days. There's not a single person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't been touched by death. The loss of a loved one. Separation from the one that they held dear. And at the understanding now that this Jesus can meet the needs of every single person. Even those who haven't known loss know that loss is on the way, that one day they'll breathe their last. Here's one who can defeat death. Every single person rises to their feet, runs into the street, and tries to demand his attention. Jesus, over here, right here, I've lost loved ones too. You have the solution. Jesus, Jesus, don't pass me by. Now all of a sudden, Jesus is for everyone. And as they're waving their branches, as they're they're believing that Jesus is coming to deliver from the Romans, to establish the kingdom of God in all of its life, and all of its prosperity, as they're shouting these celebratory things, they're saying specific words that I want us to learn this morning. We sang one this morning. They're using the word Hosanna. And if the, they're shouting it in their language, it would sound something like, Hoshiana, Hoshiana, Hoshiana. And we sing it as a, a celebratory word in our songs, and, and we, we sing it with joy, and, and we ought to because of the work of Jesus Christ. But Hoshiana is something that I want us to understand this morning. It's a cry, a desperate cry. It's in the midst of of desperation and urgency knowing that there's absolutely no other source for help, deliverance, salvation, assistance of any kind. It is the most desperate cry. Come and save, please. Please come and save. Come and save now. I think that's an important thing for us to learn. To come to the place where we realize that we have a king unto whom we can cry Hosanna. Hosanna. And as he's riding in, as he's, as he's riding upon the robes and the garments and the, the leaves of all of those who are calling out for him to come and assist, believing that Jesus has now come to fulfill all of their agenda, all of their desires, they're crying out Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the King. And there's an uproar in some of the religious leaders. They despise this. This declaration that Jesus is the source of salvation. That people would offer up this urgent call to Him. And as they begin to despise this, you can see this in the same story written in the Gospel of Luke. It should be Luke chapter 19. You'll see these religious leaders engaging Jesus and they'll be telling Jesus things like, shut them up. Quiet them down. If you know what's good for them, you won't let them blaspheme like that, saying you're the only source for deliverance, the only source for salvation, saying that you're the only source for relief. You better quiet these people because this is out of line. This has gotten out of control. And Jesus gives them a response. It's an interesting response, and it's worth looking at. He tells them, listen, if these people go silent, the rocks will cry out. Now, rocks being plural is really just a a translation. It could just be the rock or the stone will cry out. And oftentimes, it's been a favorite passage of worship pastors, you know. I mean, listen, we're going to sing the praises of God, and if we don't sing, then the rocks will cry out. Well, there are parts of my day where I'm not singing, and I'm not hearing the rocks, you know, how great is our God, right? Jesus is revealing something. He's saying something that is understood wholly by those who he said it to. He's revealing a truth and evidence. He's actually testifying that he is indeed the only source for deliverance, the only source for salvation, the only source for relief. Just for your note's sake, you're welcome to turn there. Look at Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Now there's a famous statement in this this chapter where Joshua is speaking to the people of Israel where he's making a declaration that that as for him and his house, he will serve the Lord. I mean, you see it on plaques and wall hangings. You see it in homes. It makes for wonderful decor. And it's an excellent declaration. But there's something going on where this is, is pulled from, where this little excerpt is pulled from. Joshua is standing before the entire congregation and he's talking to them about serving God. Recognizing God as the only source of life and deliverance and prosperity, of of freedom. And as he's standing before the congregation, he speaks to them. And it begins in verse 14. He's telling them that God is going to require them to serve God and God alone. That God won't share His agenda with their agenda And as he writes it here, he's speaking of idols, anything that comes before God. He says, Listen, God is is calling you to be his people. Will you serve the Lord? And they answer and they say, Yes, we will. And he says, But it's going to require something. You're going to have to abandon all of your agendas, you're going to have to abandon all other sources of deliverance, you're going to have to abandon all other avenues of comfort, you're going to have to lay down all of your idols. They say, we'll do it. Joshua, knowing their stubbornness in their heart, says, I, 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 it's a hard thing for me to buy. I've seen you guys. I know what's going on. When you serve the Lord, you're not going to be able to carry any of this other stuff. He himself will be the sole source of provision, deliverance, prosperity, life, freedom in your life, period. He will not share it with another. And eventually the people say, yes, we agree to that. Now this is the last act that Joshua does, at least that's recorded, before he dies. He makes this declaration. He makes it very clear that God is not going to allow you to have your agenda. But God is going to require that you abandon your agenda and that you adopt His. And he does something amazing. It's really specific. I mean, it's not just random. And it's worth noticing here. When he has this declaration made, when all of the people say, yes, we sign up for that, we will abandon our agenda and we will adopt the agenda of the Lord God. Joshua says something. If you have your Bible open there, to Joshua 24, I want to begin reading in verse 25. So Joshua then made a covenant with the people that day. And he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And Joshua wrote these words down in the book of the law of God. And then he took a large stone. Will you just say a large stone? Then he took a large stone and he set it up under the oak tree, right next to the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all of the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all of the words. Of the Lord which he had spoken. And it will be a witness against you. In case you deny your God. And take up other gods. In case you reject the agenda of God. And take on your own agenda. Then Joshua dismissed the people. Each one to their inheritance. Now it's a personal opinion. But I think it's got some. some it's an educated thought at least. I wholeheartedly believe that's the stone Jesus is talking about. When they're waving and they're jumping and they're shouting and they're desiring Jesus to look toward them, we're acknowledging you. You're the only way. You are the only source of life. The only source of victory. There is none other but you. When the religious leaders are saying, you better silence those people, I wholeheartedly believe this is what Jesus is referring to when he says, hey, listen, if they go silent saying this, if they stop acknowledging that my agenda is the only agenda, the rock's going to cry out. So now something is happening, and this is where I want us to pay attention for the purpose of examining our own lives. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Everyone is excited that he's there, believing that God is delivering them from the oppressive grip of the Romans. This mob of people crying out, Hoshiana, you're the only source. You are victory. You are life. You are deliverance. Hoshiana, Hoshiana. Just days later, the same mob is calling crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify Him. What can change a group of people? What could make us, because we're no different than them, what could make us one day be singing the praises of Jesus, crying out, Hoshiana, your agenda alone, and just days later be abandoning Him and rejecting Him? What could possibly cause that and what must we do to see to it that that doesn't happen in our lives. I think it's important to take a look at this and see. As we move from Palm Sunday to Good Friday and and on into Resurrection Sunday, we need to understand that God is at work in our hearts doing something, revealing something that we ought to acknowledge, that we ought to, to take note of and focus on and allow God to have an effect in us. So that we too don't go silent and the rocks cry out. So that we too don't become fickle and one day cry Nah, and the next day cry out crucify Him. And we need to understand that those aren't just words, they're actions. One day I can be a servant of the Most High and the next day when His agenda doesn't align with my agenda, my actions can be testifying crucify Him. Who cares what He thinks? What does He know? When I take a look at this, when I see the history, when I see the excitement and the build-up and the celebration, I see something. I see my own life. I see my life set free from sin and corruption, born again and, and ignited on fire for God. And all of a sudden, all of my ideals... And all of my agendas are immediately assaulted by the plans of God and the ways of God. All the things that I think that church life should be like and marriage should be like and family should be like are all being called out because my ways are not the same as His. So now the question is, will I abandon my ways and embrace His? Will I live a life of Hoshiana? Or will I reject His ways and hold tight to my and live a life of crucify Him? It's a sobering thing to think about. And to think that it was a people group some 2,000 years ago that just made a bad choice and blew it is to miss the point. This is us here and now every single day. Are we living a life of Hosanna? Which would require us to lay down our agenda. The things that we want. To embrace the things that He has for us. What's necessary for us to do that is to understand his heart for us, that he loves us, that he cares for us. It's too easy for us to see a small picture. I mean, mankind is bound to be myopic. That means short sighted, unable to see beyond what's right in front of us. Our understanding and our awareness is absolutely limited. No matter how smart or brilliant or how devoted or how much we commit to to seeking the Lord, we're seeing a small picture. God's plans and His ways are so vast. Some of the most painful, terrifying, horrible things that have ever happened in my life were 100% God's plan for me. And they led to great things. But in the midst of those things, I was willing at that time to abandon Nah. And confess, crucify Him. All because of how I felt. All because of what I thought. I think it should look different. So I want to do it my way. We're all faced with those things. In every aspect of our life. When tempted with sin. When dealing with marriage and raising our children. When operating in business. We're faced with all kinds of opportunities. To live a life of Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus is King. His way is the only way. Or a life of compromise. Crucify him. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. As you set your things aside and as you stand I I don't want to keep us long but I do want to make sure that we catch something your life is no different than that nation that nation that's under turmoil that nation that is is being assaulted by all kinds of outside influences that are are pushing against the, the things of God your life is just the same as that nation and God sees fit To provide for you a king who's perfect in all of his ways and his leadership. The thing that we need to ask ourselves is do we have an image of what that should look like? Or are we willing to let God develop that image in our life? When things don't look the way we think they should, are we going to abandon God's call to follow Jesus and go our own way? Do we see it as, as an option do we see that Christianity is a, an idea to stay kind of morally straight? It's, it's guidelines, not really rules, just kind of guidelines. Or do we see that God has a plan? And even if he's calling us to walk through fire, Hoshiana. I mean, we're faced with this every day. And I remember as a, as a young man reading the Bible, seeing this mob crying out, crucify him. I just thought, what, what a miserable bunch of jerks. And now the more I grow in the word, I realize I'm one of those miserable jerks. I need to search my heart. And in every choice, and in every decision, I'm at a crossroads. It's either Hosanna, Jesus you lead, Jesus you guide. Your agenda is the only agenda, and I abandon all of mine. Or it's crucify him. You can take your agenda and do whatever you want, but I'm going this way. I want us to see our lives in that light, to have a a decision, to see a crossroads in in everything that we do for the purpose of choosing rightly. Because if we simply look on that history and we see a group of people who one day are yelling, Jesus, Hosanna, 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 and then days later are yelling, crucify Him, give us Barabbas. If we think that those people are just kooky, Or deceived or bizarre. And we separate ourselves completely from them. We deceive ourselves. We face that same choice. And that same decision on a daily basis. Are we going to lay down our agenda. And embrace his. Or are we going to let our agenda lead us to destruction. I think that's something that is very personal. Intimate. It's between you and God. But I want to offer a prayer today that we would become aware of this choice and this decision. That as we move into the rest of the days of this week leading into Resurrection Sunday, we don't see those who cried in celebration one day and cried for Jesus to die the next day. We don't see them as any different than us. But we see that God's revealing to us our lives so that we can have our minds renewed and our hearts softened to respond appropriately, to lay down all of our agendas, our hopes and our dreams and to take upon our lives his plan, his desires for our lives. Because his desire for your life leads to prosperity. It leads to victory. It leads to deliverance. It leads to every aspect of his kingdom. His love for you is perfect. It's unyielding. It's uncompromising. It's unconditional. And no one wants you victorious more than your heavenly father. I want to pray for us this morning. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the day that we celebrate today. That our King would reveal the glory that you bestowed upon him. Resurrection from the dead. We thank you, Father, for the days that we look forward to. That he would offer himself up in our place. Let our hearts be humbled as we we ponder these things. That we wouldn't be uh, steeped in tradition and habit but that there would be new awareness and and great revelation that you would bestow upon us as we consider those things that we celebrate. But here and now, will you enlighten us and open our minds, shine your word upon us, let light be bestowed upon us that we would think clearly that everything we do, we're at a choice to either yield our hopes and dreams and agendas and take upon our lives your plans Or reject your plans and live by ourselves. Let us choose wisely in these things. Let our lives cry be Hoshiana. That we would be those who would see Jesus as the only source. The only solution. The only way that compromise would have no place in us. And let that have an effect on our lives. That would turn this land upside down for your namesake. Let testimonies be revealed. That would be inspirational life-giving, let the story of our life unfold in such a way that you're honored and glorified and men and women are drawn into your kingdom. Let us be a people willing to lay down our agendas, to lay down our ways, our thoughts, and to yield to your ways and your thoughts. Let it have a profound effect in us and let it be revealed in every word and every action that we perform for your namesake and your glory. We bless your name and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.